0: Sign up today at ButcherBox.com ETM. There's a difference between simply making money and building wealth. The former is what you do while you're awake to generate cash flow. The latter is made in your sleep. In this episode, John Hope Bryan, entrepreneur, philanthropist, author, and thought leader on financial literacy, economic empowerment, and financial dignity, shares how to build financial inclusion the power of financial literacy, the number one money lesson you need to know and how to build wealth starting with this.
1: Compounding uh, is how you build wealth, whether it's compounding your education, compounding uh, interest payments, compounding uh, uh, with employees, compounding in your enterprise, compounding of cash flows, uh, of appreciation, uh, et cetera.
2: You're listening to Millennial Money with award-winning money expert and serial entrepreneur, Shauna to Game, where we flip the script on the old school approach to everything your parents never taught you about money. Each week, Shauna creates a safe space by talking with special guests from around the world about money wellness, entrepreneurship, traveling like a boss, and what makes millennials tick. Unique stories, trailblazing perspectives, tips, tricks, and everything there is to know about money. Find it all here as you uncover your money story and unlock the life you want to live. Pretty cool, right? Here's Shauna, money expert, Indiana Hoosier, and burger aficionado. Welcome, welcome, friend. I am so glad you
0: tuned into this episode. You know, every once in a while, a conversation comes along that really sinks deep within, and I know has the capacity to change you, me, and everyone listening. This is that episode. I have already listened to this conversation three times, and every time I do, I hear another gem. John is a legend, truly. He is referred to as the Conscious of Capitalism. John is the founder, chairman, and CEO of Operation Hope Inc., which is the largest nonprofit, best in class provider of financial literacy and economic empowerment services in the U.S. for youth and adults. He is also the chairman and CEO of Bryant Group Ventures and founder and principal of the Promise Homes Company, which is the largest minority-controlled owner of single-family rental homes in the U.S. Five former U.S. presidents have recognized his work, and he has served as an advisor to three sitting U.S. presidents from both political parties. He is responsible for financial literacy becoming the policy of the U.S. federal government. He has received hundreds of awards and citations for his work, including Oprah Winfrey's Use Your Life Award and the John Sherman Award for Excellence in Financial Education from the U.S. Treasury. He's the author of best-selling books Up From Nothing, The Memo, and How the Poor Can Save Capitalism and Love Leadership. So yeah, he's pretty much a superstar in my book. In this episode, John is sharing some important lessons on why financial literacy is a new civil rights issue, how we can go from financial disempowerment to empowerment, and as I teased in the open, how you can build wealth, and hint, it starts with your mindset. So unbelievably excited to share this conversation with you. I'm Shauna Compton-Game, and this is Millennial Money. John, I am so excited to have you on the Millennial Money Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us.
1: Well, it's my pleasure to join you. Thank you for thanks for having me.
0: I have to say, I was reading up on your accomplishments this week and am definitely in awe of everything you've done and really your passion for helping people when it comes to personal finance. I think it's just so amazing. And I watched this interview where you talked about financial literacy being a new civil rights issue. And I, I couldn't agree more, but I'd actually love for you to share more with us about this. Tell me, tell me a little bit about like where we are with financial literacy.
1: Yeah, well, the pandemic and the economic crisis of unemployment that came along with it, which leveled the playing field um, along racial and political lines and geographic lines that hit everybody everywhere. We've not had that kind of systemic unemployment since the Great Depression. Right. Plus the 400-year-old social justice reckoning of Black America that happened in 2020, plus the political upheaval that happened, not so much political, but really a a challenge to our democracy and what we stand for. All those things together um, had an economic layer to them and folks who otherwise would be comfortable found that they had too much month at the end of their money and, yeah. uh, um, and restaurants, you know, and small businesses owned by my mainstream counterparts who otherwise would be doing extraordinarily well found that they were extraordinarily stressed and all of a sudden needed support from the government, which they never thought they would ask for in their life. Uh, i.e., the PPP program, et cetera. And we just found that we were very, uh, we were very, um, Fragile, the largest economy in the world, the biggest economic democracy in the world was incredibly fragile. And so this became an issue for everybody. And we realized that 70% of this economy, the largest economy in the world is consumer spending based. But the consumers are stressed out and overwhelmed and unprepared. And we need a private banker for every working mother and working family in America but the private bankers are actually talking to people like me that don't need it. So I think this is a an issue that's been percolating for a while, and now it's just become ever present. I and I think that you today you also have what I call social justice through an economic lens. If you want to, if you want to impact social justice issues, um, you have just as much of a chance, or, or more so, I think, of a chance of changing that by cutting deals in the business suites as you do marching in the public streets. Um, so it's a different strategy, a different time, a different era than the 1960s, where the issue was raising the color line. The color was black or white. Today, the color is green, U.S. currency.
0: Yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's an. It, it, I mean, I mean, we could spend probably hours going back and really talking about financial exclusion, uh, particularly in communities of color and and how we got here. I don't know how we unravel that all. But I, I know something that you talk about a lot is this idea of financial inclusion. So when, when you talk about that, like, what does that mean, financial inclusion, particularly in communities of color?
1: It means dignity. Right. Um, from the time you go to bed, wake up in the morning to the time you go to bed at night or the time you go to bed at night to the time you wake up in the morning. Actually, you're, you're having a financial transaction. I mean, even you go to bed, you're sleeping on a pillow that the government didn't issue for you. You bought it. Uh, (laughs) You're sleeping under sheets that you bought uh, with utilities that you turned off or on that you pay for with a phone uh, that is probably waking you up in the morning that you also paid for. This is not government issued anything. You're literally paying for everything going on in your life and you're having a financial transaction. From can't see in the morning, I can't see at night. But we, it's like having a, a an economy built on driving, but no one has a driver's license. Um, I mean, it's it's really quite ridiculous to have this incredible economy without having incredible resiliency. So I I just think that this is the great leveler, and it's human dignity for all. Um, it's um, if you work, you know, it just bleeds into other issues like the living wage conversation. You you work. You have three children. You work forty-hour weeks. You're not lazy. Uh, at twelve dollars an hour, um, you make twenty-six thousand dollars a year, give or take twenty-seven. That's a, that's the poverty rate in America. <laughs> uh, you, you can't you you can't raise a family like that. And and who's going to be excited about that job? Which is why people are right now taking a bit of a reassessment of what work looks like for them. So the financial literacy issue bleeds into other issues. You know the. The financial literacy issue, literacy issue was present after slavery for African Americans. We, we escaped physical bondage and then went into debt bondage because with Lincoln, President Lincoln, had created a bank called the Freedmen's Bank, chartered to teach free slaves about money. Uh, but he was unfortunately killed a month after he signed the law creating mm-hmm. the bank. So there was no leadership, no guidance, and you had 40 million uh, people who were enslaved the descendants of which got no schooling or direction of how to go and enter so-called freedom in the free enterprise system. And so they were taken advantage of um, in many ways, including this concept called sharecropping, where you would own your own farm coming out of slavery. What they didn't know and told them is that the guy who used to own you now owned the farm. and he set the rules for the little store that was on the, his property that you bought all your seeds from. And oddly enough, you never made a profit. Hello so uh and there was more cotton production after slavery than there was before or during slavery because uh they found sharecropping <laughs> to be much more efficient uh, <laughs> which is odd and weird uh so you you know if you to quote ambassador Andrew Young, who was on that balcony with Dr. King in nineteen sixty eight to live in a system of free enterprise and not to understand the rules of free enterprise must be the very definition of slavery.
0: Mm. Wow, yeah, that's so powerful. I mean, obviously there are people could argue this but not teaching financial literacy, not having people really understand how money works uh is to benefit a lot of companies, right? So <laughs> credit card companies, we could go on and on, right? Mm-hmm. Do you how how do we I mean, this is a big question, but like, how do we get to a place where where we all have equal access to financial literacy, where we're all taught this even from a young age so that we at least all have a a fighting chance? So
1: that's a good, interesting point you made. And I want to differentiate because I think most people may not be able to get underneath the hood of what you said. If you're a prime a bank or a prime financial institution you benefit from financially literate customers if you're a subprime provider meaning that you love people with impaired credit, so you can charge them uh, higher rates then you benefit from folks being ignorant um, the more ignorant they are, they are the more mistakes they make the more money you make they're more payday lenders and check cashers in the state of alabama last time i checked than all mcdonald's and starbucks can combine in this country wow yeah. Um, but, you know, if you're a bank, uh, Bank of America, Wells Fargo, U.S. Bank, you know, truest bank, doesn't matter which one you pick. Um, you want to get out of the no business and back into the yes business in these, in as, as much as you can, because you want more customers. You want people to take your mortgages, your your car loans, your credit cards, whatever, and pay you back. I mean, you make money when people pay you back. Um, you can't scale it up if you're just churning Uh, predatory customers who are, by the way, complaining about you to the regulators and complaining about you to the media and so your reputation is taking a hit. So it it really is two worlds. You have this subprime, check cashing, payday loan lending, rent-to-own, title lending, pawn shop world, uh, and sort of a C-level financial provider. Uh, I was at a a resort two weeks ago and they said you can finance your whole resort fees. I was like, what the (laughs) heck are you talking (laughs) about? You can finance the weekend, which means you get drunk, you don't remember it, and they charge you thirty-six percent interest for the for the pleasure of coming to their resort for two years for two days, and you pay for it for for a year. Five hundred dollars a month. Wow. At thirty-six percent interest.
0: <laughs> How many people are signing up for that? Probably a well, lot, right?
1: Obviously, it's embedded in their sign-up process, so clearly they see it as a mainstream offering. By the way, you can also finance your car rental fee. Of
0: course, right?
1: You can finance the plane ticket. I mean, it is ridiculous. Um, But this is the level of financial ignorance in this country. So the question is, you know, how do you change this? Me and the CEO of Walmart, Doug McMillan, just launched two weeks ago, quietly, soft launch called Financial Literacy for All. And we've got together the CEO of Delta of Delta Airlines, CEO of Disney, CEO of Bank of America, CEO of Khan Academy, CEO of the Atlanta Hawks, commissioner of the NBA, commissioner of the NFL, CEO of Walgreens. i are probably missing somebody. But these, these big brands to say we are not going to stand for this anymore. We're going to embed financial literacy into the business plan of this country. Um, and, and it's a decade long commitment to mainstream the topic. And we hope to inspire The federal government to act and Congress and the Senate to legislate financial literacy K through college so that it is embedded in our school system. So that's our long term strategy funded in the funded to fund school districts to pay to to teach our kids. I think it shouldn't be not just financial literacy, but every kid should have a. Uh, a class in computers. That's where right. the jobs are coming from the future. Every high school kid should get a class of financial literacy and a class in computing. It ain't complicated. Uh, but we're not doing the very basics to sustain our culture, our economy, and we want to change that. So we're working with first with employers and uh, and, and, and some of the biggest companies in America uh, to because 88% of all employment is in the private sector uh, in this country, little-known fact. So and 100% of all legitimate wealth is created by the private sector. So our goal is nothing short uh, than half of the of the Fortune 500 companies over time to join this movement.
0: That would definitely be quite a movement and I I'm very as somebody who teaches at a university in Los Angeles financial literacy, I I think that would be very exciting. I know I've I've pushed to get financial literacy even a one credit class mandated in the university I teach at and received fair share of uh, pushback of budgets and this and that and all sorts of things. So, I mean, I know firsthand how powerfully teaching anyone about financial literacy is. So, I mean, I, I would love to imagine a world where all of us have that access. I think it would be absolutely life-changing.
1: Yeah. Well, we call it financial literacy for all. Can, your people listening to this can go to fl4a.org, uh, financial literacy for all, fl4 the number 4a.org, or go to operationshope.org to sign up to get more information and to follow this movement as we grow. But it'll become more visible in the months in and years to come. It's a 10-year initiative. We also have something called the One Million Black Business Initiative to create it to create a million new black businesses in this country. That's our partnership with Shopify. They funded it to $130 million over 10 years to create a million new black businesses to create wealth creation. amongst those who are at the bottom of the economic pyramid. Uh, they, that's uh, 1MBB, hope, 1MBB.org or operationhope.org. And that's also a 10-year initiative. I really think that this is a, a moment in history we're in right now. And mm. I call it the third reconstruction. And but, you know, history doesn't feel historic when you're sitting in it It just feels like another day. Um, Yeah. But that doesn't mean the moment you're in is actually not historic, you know.
0: When it comes to financial advice, you got to trust the source. It's why you listen to this podcast. for your extended 30-day free trial. In those moments when money is just not moving as fast as your dreams, Earn it provides the financial momentum you need to keep moving forward. Earn It is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day or up to $750 per pay period. You just download the Earn it app and verify your paycheck. Then you access up to $100 a day as you work, and you can leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. I honestly would use earnin' in lots of different ways, but what's on my mind recently is I need a night out. I need some good tacos to sip on a few virgin margaritas and celebrate you all helping this podcast earn 26 million downloads. Make Earning a part of your financial routine and join Earnings over three and a half million customers who say things like, when I think about Earning, I think about financial stability and security. Gives me a lot of peace of mind. Download Earning today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earnin app, type in Talkin' Money under Podcast when you sign up. It will really help the show. Talkin' Money under Podcast. Earning is a financial technology company, not a bank. Subject to your available earnings daily max, pay period max, and location. See Earning.com slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank & Trust, member FDIC. The weather is getting warmer. I'm so excited. And it is time to say goodbye to all those jackets and sweaters and hello to the shorts and t-shirts. It's Tuesday and we have another Ask Shauna and this one comes from Joel. Joel says, Hello, I'm 20 years old and I'm not finished with college. I also still live with my parents and I'm not financially independent. What books do you recommend I read to become financially independent sooner? Also, what tips do you have for parents that are controlling with money and how to get around it? Joel, (laughs) these are great questions. Wow. Um, Let's start with the easier one, okay? I've got a ton of great book recommendations. Many of them are previous guests. Actually, all of them are previous guests that have been on the show. So if one of these books really resonates with you, not only pick it up, but also check out the podcast episode and listen to the important message. I am going to, in the show notes, not only link these books, I'm going to link 10 of my favorites. But I'm also going to link the podcast interview where this person was on. (laughs) So if you're looking for that information, you don't have to remember it. Just go to the show notes. So the first is The Wealthy Gardener by John Sephoric. He was just recently on the podcast. And that book is really a book that you keep on your bedside table and you read over and over. There are so many gems in there about becoming financially independent. The second is called The Money Tree by Chris Gillibo. and Chris was also recently on the show. He's written a couple of books that I absolutely love. He's got one called The $100 Startup. If anybody is listening, they want to start a business, I would definitely recommend picking up that book. But The Money Tree is just a really interesting way to learn about money through a story. Both The Money Tree and The Wealthy Gardener, are great books to pick up. The next one is called Work Your Money, Not Your Life by my friend Roger Ma, who is a certified financial planner himself. And this is just a great book to really get you focused on what life do you want to create and then how do you get your money to come around that life. The next one is called Passive Income, Aggressive Retirement by Rachel Richards. She had actually one of our top episodes this year, and she's just brilliant at creating passive income. I think passive income is one of the best things when I talk to you on the show about buckets of money, buckets of wealth, however you want to call it. This is how wealthy people get wealthy, right? They don't just have money in a 401k or in a savings account. They have money in lots of different places. So this is a great one to pick up. Happy Money by Ken Honda, also a staple for your bedside table, just a great book to help you frame how you're thinking about money. Same with Holistic Wealth by Keisha Blair. Those two just great books to have and keep on your bookshelf. And then a couple of investing books, Plant Your Money Tree by Michelle Snyder. We've had Mish on the show several times, and this is one of my very favorite investing books because it kind of takes away, I should say, everything that maybe you thought about investing and boils it down into just a really easy way to think about investing, particularly outside of your 401k or your IRA. So that's a great book. Also, Invested by Danielle Town, She's one of my friends. This is a New York Times bestseller book. This is a great book to pick up if you want to invest, again, outside of 401k or IRA And you want to have a great story, someone who knew nothing about investing to start. Well, she knew about investing, but she didn't have any investing experience until she started this practice that she details in her book. Two other great books to pick up, one called Franklin Fye by Shane Dillon, great book about financial independence, and Broke Millennial by Erin Lowry. That is my top 10 of books. I think anybody listening wants to have just a great library and well-rounded books to read, these are like no fluff, so many lessons you can pick out of these books, so those would be my favorites. Now, as far as your parents go, (laughs) that is a tough one for sure, and I don't have the exact right answer. I have worked with many people in very similar experiences that you're in right now, One question I just want to ask is, have you had a conversation with them about money and really sharing your thoughts, have this open conversation? Probably the answer is no, and that's okay. But I've found that controlling usually comes about because parents aren't sure that you know what to do with your money. And this is the same in relationships too, right? Controlling comes out when someone feels out of control and they feel like maybe you don't know how to do things best. And since we don't openly talk about money, there's like this fog that stays around. So I know it's tough, but I've, I would consider talking to them about how you feel. Here are just some conversation openers, if you will. Maybe ask them, I want to know about your money story. Like, what do you think is the biggest money lessons you've learned and how can I avoid them myself? Or what do you think are some of the traits of someone who is really financially secure? Is there anything related to money that you still want to learn about? What steps do you think I should take to become more financially responsible? This is a big one because whatever they tell you back, that is basically a reflection maybe of why they're controlling, right? Maybe they just don't see you interested in money. And then you could also just ask them, hey, what are your general feelings about money? This doesn't have to be a a big ordeal conversation, maybe while you're cooking dinner or hanging out with them. Just have a conversation, really a no-judgment zone. Tell your parents that, that you've been learning about money and you want to become financially independent, and sometimes just the simple act of voicing it really helps things move forward. So I would really encourage you just grab some of those books, have a conversation, even if it's scary and a little rocky at first, just tiptoe your way into it right? But Joel, you're headed in the right direction and I know you're going to get there. If you're listening and you have an Ask Shauna question, I want to hear it. If you want to remain anonymous, that's totally cool with me. Just go to the website on the homepage. There is a questionnaire you can fill out for Ask Shauna or go to the link in the show notes. It's as easy as that. John has so many more gems to share with you about wealth building and the number one money lesson you need to learn. So let's dive back in. Tell me a little bit about, like, how did you, how did you get so passionate about financial literacy? Like, what, what was your journey into this?
1: Well, I think it has to do with, um, I know, I know it has to do with how I grew up. Like most of our lives are impacted positively or negatively by our life experiences. And I grew up; my mom and dad divorced over money when I was five years old. Mom and dad argued over money, domestic abuse over money. They fought literally, uh, and my dad beat my mother uh, in one of those arguments. I remember when I was five years old. Um, they 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 gained a lot of assets. Um, they built a home and built a business, built a you know apartment building. Not built, but bought, bought uh, and owned a gas station in LA, et cetera, et cetera. We lost it all. Because my dad could make it, but couldn't keep it, and didn't want to admit he didn't understand it, didn't understand money. So if you make a dollar, and spend a dollar fifty. The more money you make, the broker you get. So uh, that that from that experience went on to another experience where a guy who saved my life was killed over money. Um, another experience: my best friend, who was smarter than me, was killed over money. Um, we're hanging out with a drug dealer in Compton. So by the time I was nine years old, I was like, okay, I'm, I'm good. I'm, I'm done. Right. You know, I'm, um, there's gotta be a better way. And a banker came in my classroom when I was nine years old and tall, 10, yeah, no, nine years old and taught financial literacy. And he happened to be Caucasian, uh, which made me not afraid of, or distrustful of white people early on. I had a teacher, a principal who, who bought whatever I was selling. She happened to be Caucasian. I had a, a principal and a teacher who was very supportive and a white man who taught me financial literacy. He was a banker who came into my school. So my first experiences with Caucasian people were not um, negative to me. And that was different from a lot of people I grew up with who were mistreated by police who happened to be white. Um, So I was sitting there and saying, I don't distrust you. I don't know you, but I know you're successful, Mr. Banker. So what do you do for a living? And how'd you get rich legally? (laughs) And he said, I'm a banker and I finance entrepreneurs. And I was like, I don't know what an entrepreneur is, but if you're financing, I'm going to be one. Let's go.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And as they say, the rest is history, right? (laughs)
1: That's it. That's it.
0: You wrote this great article on on your blog. You talked about the difference between building wealth and making money. It's a topic Mm -hmm. we talk a lot about on this show. And you say there's this difference between simply making money and building wealth. The former is what you do while you're awake to generate cash flow. And the latter is made in your sleep. So, you know, you're t- you're talking to people listening here, probably early 20s to mid 40s. You know, what are some ways that, that you've seen where we can really build real wealth? Like, how do we do that?
1: Yeah, so you do build, you make money during the day, you build wealth in your sleep. Um, with employees compounding in your enterprise, compounding of cash flows, uh, of appreciation, uh, et cetera. Uh, and a couple ways to do that simple ways to do that is you can start a business. Uh, it doesn't have to be fancy one. You uh, start a sole proprietorship business, uh, do e-commerce. Uh, I'll give you a real life example of how somebody with a business right now can create wealth when they're asleep. I'll give you that in a second. You can own a piece of real estate, whether it's a single-family home for yourself, it's growing wealth and and in, in, in shareholder interest, you're the shareholder when you're asleep, or you can buy a home and then buy a rental home and rent the ho- rental home out. And if you do that twice in your lifetime, you've got to hedge against poverty for the rest of your life and you'll create generational wealth for your family. Meanwhile, the, the renters will pay your mortgage off and pay your property taxes at once a year and probably pay your maintenance expense and you won't make any money off the cash flow of that property, which is fine. There, but but it's it's paying off all of your expenses, but the appreciation of that real estate will um, change your life and lives, the lives of yet those those yet unborn. It's called generational wealth creation. So, the stock. There's three things that have never reversed in in history. Two things: uh, real estate values and the stock market. And um, and then the third route to success always, I believe, is business and entrepreneurship. Um, so those are some examples. The, the practical example of how somebody can build wealth: you own a barbershop. You're you're there from seven to, in the morning to seven at night, and you're you got one phone, one one hand on the phone as it rings, one hand cutting hair. Uh, when you leave, the phone rings into voicemail, but. I'm at, I'm now sitting and people, your customers come, people driving by and seeing your barbershop uh, and calling you. But with e-commerce, which is what we do with 1 Million Black Business Initiative, as an example, it, our partnership with Shopify, you're on, you're in your bed at midnight. You're on looking for a place to get a, a haircut. You search, you go online, you schedule with the scheduling app, your appointment in the available slots. You don't need to talk to anybody. While you're, while you put your credit card in, so there's a cancellation fee in case you don't show up, so they make money uh, on you, the time that you've allocated. Uh, either way, and while you're there, you also buy a, a brush, you buy some hair oil, you buy a wave cap. Online, they mail it to you. You, the owner of that business, literally built wealth in their sleep.
0: I like that. Yeah. Wow, and I, I threw out to the Millennial Money listeners: Do they have any questions that they wanted me to ask you? And one question in various versions kept coming back. Uh, listeners were wondering, you know, how can we escape a mentality of of just having enough? You know, so many people talk about this idea of abundance, but it can seem really impossible when money's tight. Maybe you're living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you have student loan debt or other debt, or life just isn't moving the way you want it to. What sort of advice would you give give to listeners that are that are in that situation?
1: The first thing you have to do is change your mindset. Um, your mind, your wallet will follow your mind, and your mind, which will, will follow your culture, and your culture will cha- will follow your optimism or lack thereof. I can't guarantee that being being optimistic will make you a success, but I absolutely guarantee that being negative will make you a failure. Um, So, is the glass half full or is it it half empty? It really depends on who's looking at the glass. It's the same glass. There's a book I wrote called Up From Nothing, The Untold Story of How We All Succeed. It came out in October last year. I recommend everybody to get that book as a starting point. It's all about mindset. Building wealth is about mindset. Anybody can make money, but building wealth is a mindset. And I grew up from nothing, up from nothing. I was Homeless, I lived in Compton, California, had no generational wealth. You heard me say it. My family lost everything. Uh, Homeless, six months of my life. Here I am running 40 companies, two of which are the largest in their industry in the country, doing tens of millions of dollars worth of business every year Um, uh, because I believe and because of a mindset. So there's four, there's three mindsets. There's a surviving mindset, a thriving mindset, and a winning mindset. A thriving mindset is a middle class. It's a getting business. It's a getting mindset. I want to get a vacation, get a promotion, get a, a raise, get a, a new home, get a, a new truck. I want to get a new station in life. I want to get membership to the club. It's a middle class, uh, uh, thriving mindset. The surviving mindset is what poor people do, is what struggling people do. Is PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder. You now become an expert in what you're against and not what you're for. You don't believe you're cynical, not skeptical, and you are primed to be taken advantage of. And you don't you cannot empower yourself uh, because you're not optimistic, because you're not you don't believe because it takes some somebody, time somebody to convince you to even take you, to save your own life. Um, and then the third mindset, the one that I prefer is a winner's mindset, which and, and basically which is a builder's mindset. A winner is a builder um, or builders are winners to be, It's interchangeable. And America was built by builders who had a winning mindset. A winner believed they were a winner before they ever won anything. So let me take this to the end for somebody listening to this and who's doubting what I'm saying. So let's go to the end and say, let's just give everybody money. Somebody's going to listen to this and go, no, John, life's not about any of that stuff. It's only about money. You've missed it. Okay, fine. Let's take that mindset. So I now have the power to take all the wealth in the world and redistribute it from the wealthy top 3% to everybody in the world. Okay. I just pop my fingers. I did that yes. within, three, within three to five years. Those who had all that wealth will have it again <laughs> <laughs> right. because, because they got the memo of how wealth is created and others did not. Let me be very specific. I won the lottery. I'm now getting off the freeway and I see a homeless man, um, uh, next to the freeway. I give that homeless man a million dollars and don't do anything else. He'll be broken six months. Right. You see what's like money? Everybody listening to this knows what I'm saying is common sense, but common sense is not so common. And nobody ever told you how this game and how this system works. Money has velocity. And you, so money can go right through your hands and go into, excuse my French crap. Uh, it can, you know, financing jewelry. Eh. and. <laughs> <laughs> You know, uh, an eighteen percent interest on a on a on an auto loan, which means it's not a Mercedes. Is Mercedes payments <laughs> financing <laughs> a financing <of> vacation? <laughs> uh, you, you know, I mean, paying for bobbles, <laughs> or it can go into stocks, bonds, uh, your education, owning a home, appreciating assets. That's called good debt. So bad debt are things that appreciate, depreciate. Good debt are things that type of things that appreciate. Um, and you're leveraging, when you leverage a little bit of money on good debt, on an appreciating asset, you build wealth in your sleep. So mindset matters. And there are, you know, again, this five pillars of success in my book, Up From Nothing, which I encourage people to read and post the five pillars on their bed frame, on their wall. Live by it, because that mindset will change everything else or not.
0: Right. It's your choice. Right. Yeah. OK, so if you could if you could pinpoint like one of the most important money lessons that you think we all need to know, like we're, if we only take one thing from from this conversation, what should we walk away with?
1: Um, don't let the the urgent crowd out the important. I- ignore the noise and be relentless. So when you have a surviving mentality, you may be, you you, you got bills coming in, they got red notices on them, and you need to call the people with the red notices and tell them you don't have the money or send them a good faith payment, but don't let that obsess your day. You got things going on in your life and it's gonna cause you to wanna argue with your wife or your partner or your husband or your mate. Don't do it. Just sit down and have a rational conversation. Don't let the urgent crowd out the important It gets you off track in your life. Racism and bias may be dealing with some, some people may be dealing with racism and bias, but to argue with a fool proves there are two. Step over mess and not in it. Don't let somebody pull you into a ridiculous conversation. So stay focused on really what's important in your life. When you go to the club tonight in a COVID environment where everybody's vaccinated, hopefully, and you see somebody who's really a handsome dude or guys, you see a really cute girl, ask them what their name is give them your best line and then ask them what the credit score is. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, What's your credit score and what's, what's your mission in your life? And I'm only half joking. When you marry somebody that's a business partnership and not just romance, that is your business partner for life. And if you manage to marry a dope, then if you hang around nine broke people, you'll be the 10th. Watch how you hang, you hang around and watch how you live your life. Maybe the only Bible anybody else reads, And and just so you got to ignore the noise, like ignore all the negativity, ignore ignore people, ignore the haters, ignore people who don't know what they're talking about, and stay laser focused on your objective. Getting your credit score up probably is more important, actually, for those at the bottom of the pyramid than getting a two-year or or, or, sorry, getting a four-year education. You get a two-year education in a trade: plumbing, electrical, roofing, landscaping. That actually will make you. Will significantly increase your um, quality of life because that trade is going to give you a significant boost over your high school education. But the difference between between high school and four year education, um, that degree is discernible. I mean, is is it's, it depends on a lot of different factors. But if you raise your credit score a hundred points from five eighty to six eighty. I guarantee your life will change. No one will hire you at a 580 credit score in a corporation. And every company changes, checks your big company, checks your credit before they hire you. Uh, you can't get, you can't rent uh, an apartment. You you can't get an auto loan. Uh, you you can't get a mobile phone. <laughs> uh, uh, you, I mean, credit is everywhere. And you're going to, and those who, who make the lease pay the most. Um, who was me phrasing Those who are poor, which has nothing to do with how much money you make, because that's a mindset, pay the most. So uh and, and we found that all of the shootings, unfortunate shootings uh, by police in neighborhood shootings of blacks, by the way, are in 500 credit score neighborhoods. Interestingly fact, Interesting wow. facts. All of the 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 homicides, the drug addiction, the drug dealing, the murder, mayhem, single parent households low levels of gross domestic product, GDP, all that is in 500 credit score neighborhoods. Once you get to 700 credit score neighborhoods, you start seeing Whole Foods and Starbucks and two-parent households and upscale retailers and jobs and prosperity. It's not because people are better there. It's because their aspirations are higher. Mm
0: -hmm. It's
1: not about the credit score. It's about a trending indicator of hope and well-being, aspiration and opportunity.
0: Wow. Well, John, um, if it's okay with you, I'm just going to have you on like speed dial every morning and just call you up for like my morning inspiration. <laughs> well, Boy. this has been amazing. I, you have so many different resources. I would love for you to just run down a little bit. Like where can people connect with you and, and everything you're doing if they want to learn more?
1: Yeah. So you can go to operationhope.org, um, JohnO'Brien.com for what I'm doing overall follow me on social media. I have more than 2 million uh, followers on social, hundred million video views on my videos, which come out every day for free. Um, uh, but go to OperationHope.org for, to find an office near you download the hope and hand app on your mobile phone to literally get an appointment online uh, um, with one of my hope financial coaches uh, and take your life back. I mean, this is the time we're sitting as I said earlier in a moment in history And what we do in the next 10 years, in my opinion, will last for the next 100.
0: I'm not sure how to wrap up this episode, except to say it was really life-changing for me. I think we're all guilty of keeping ourselves from building wealth and from this winning mindset. But I'm taking away something John said. I feel like I'm going to print it out and frame it and put it on my wall. He said, a winner believes they are a winner before they ever won anything. That's like a mic drop moment for me. I love that. If you enjoyed this episode, do me a favor, share it with friends, family members, anybody who you know would be so inspired by this episode. As always, you can head to the links in the show notes for our guest as well as our episode sponsors. And be sure to follow Millennium Money Podcast in any podcast player you're listening to right now so you never miss an episode.
2: I'll see you back here in a few days for a brand new one. Hey, you. Yes, you.